Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, good morning, Crossroads. We're wrapping up our series on house rules. And uh, we've been learning together, but we've also been learning from one another. There was an invitation for you to send in some of your house rules, and kudos to you. Uh, Sometimes we get almost nothing when we make that request. You gave me more than what I can use, but I do want to use some of those today. So let's start off with a classic. Uh, The Balkwater family has this to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And we get that. That's true, but that's not easy, right? Uh, I often will teach couples or families about taking a time out. That when things start to get heated, uh, instead of jumping into that crazy cycle, just to have that awareness to say, hey, I just need a time out uh, to just cool down to collect my thoughts before I say something or do something that I will regret. But that takes emotional maturity on both sides. Uh, The person to say, I need that, and for the other party to grant that. Uh, And then we hear this from the Kanegi family. They say, be kind, be patient, speak respectfully, and no jumping on the couch, right? And we get that because that's what hotel rooms are for, uh, where kids can jump from one bed to the other, back and forth. And maybe we can just sort of make a public pledge to the Kanegi family that if we come to your house, we promise we won't jump on your couch, all right? But just really, really good stuff about being kind and respectful in the way that we communicate to one another. And then Janet and Dice had this to say, be humble and kind daily. Every day, make a point to be humble and kind. Serve the Lord through them. In other words, just look for opportunities. It's making those deposits in your bank account every day in those relational bank accounts because you want to make those daily deposits because there's going to be time we all mess up. Oh, we all make mistakes, and we're going to have to make some withdrawals from those accounts, those relational accounts. So make those daily deposits along the way. And then Sean, Sean has this to say. Sean, thanks for this. Talk, don't yell if you want it to end well. And he goes on, words cut and wound more than actions. And first of all, kudos for the rhyming. I think this could make a great rap, right? Talk, don't yell if you want it to end well. (laughs) None of you gave me a beat to go with. I mean, come on. But we understand that it's not just the words, right? It's the volume, it's the tone, and it's the facial expressions. Often in our family, Denise and I will say to one another, and this is painful, but you should go look in a mirror right now. You you say you're not upset, but let's put you on video and and like see how this proves. You want it to end well. It's really how you talk to one another. And then last one, Barb, Barb has this to say to us. Thanks, Barb. Uh, One thing that has helped the Heinle family household is a communication technique called echoing. It's a great technique to ensure that we are really listening to each other and that each person feels heard and understood. And man, when you get this in your relationships, not just in your marriage, not just with your kids or your parents, but when you get this in all of your relationships, I mean, the dynamic starts to change. Uh, You refer to it as echoing. Some of you know this as drive through talking. Some of you know this as of listening. And the key thing I want to tell you about all of this, the whole idea of agreement or disagreement does not factor in at all. 
This is not a time to agree or disagree. This is a time to make sure you are understanding what the other person is really having to say. And I don't fully understand the why of this. This is sort of like one of our weaknesses, so I'll just blame it on being Pennsylvania Dutch. But some people feel like they have not been heard just because the other person didn't agree with them. That's not what being heard and understood is all about. All right? Agreement or disagreement doesn't come into bear whatsoever at all. Now today, I want to wrap up this series, and I want to talk about parenting out of faith and not out of fear. Parenting out of faith and not out of fear. I want you to think back to maybe some of your favorite Christmas memories. Favorite Christmas memory you had as a kid, or as a parent, or as a grandparent. You know, different stages of life, different favorite memories. One of my favorite Christmas memories was when we had young girls. And our our church at that time was moving in a movie theater, so our Christmas Eve services couldn't take place until after the last showing. So we always had really late Christmas Eve candlelighting services till we got home. You know, you were already, you know, it's either already pushing midnight or it's going into the morning hours. And the one year, like both of our girls were just wired. You know how kids are. Christmas Eve, just wired. They weren't tired. They weren't ready to go to bed. Now, what would some of the parents do at that point in time? What might you do? You might, if you're being honest, you might threaten there's not going to be any gifts tomorrow if you don't go to sleep, right? You might threaten that. Well, here's what I did. I turned to NORAD. And you probably think, well, you know what NORAD is, right? North American Operational Air Defense, right? And this is before they had an app. Uh, But NORAD would take and they would tell you when Santa was coming near your home. Uh, You'd put in your address, your zip code. So I got out the computer. And I put in our address, and sure enough, Santa's going to be like arriving in like less than 20 minutes. And my youngest daughter, her face just drops. She slams down the drink that she's having. And she says, I'm like, I need to go. And she wants to run off to bed. Her oldest sister is just leisurely taking her time, finish her glass of milk. Younger sister just starts yelling at her, didn't you see? Santa's on his way. If we don't get to bed now, there's not going to be any gifts in the morning. So just to be clear, I used fear and taxpayer money (laughs) to scar and harm my daughters for life. And if we're going to have a time of joint confession... Uh, we all could remember some times where we've parented out of fear instead of faith. And to go just a bit deeper, if you look back at some of the not-so-finest moments of your life, there are times where fear was in control and faith seemed to take a very much of a back burner. And when we do that, the impact that it has on ourselves and our kids and our relationships does so much more harm than it does good. And I get it. I mean, fear's rampant. It's a hard place. It can be a hard time to parent out of faith instead of fear. Just to give you just one very small but powerful example. We're on track this year as a country to break a record, 611 mass shootings so far. Walmarts, grocery stores, schools, colleges, 
you name it. In a culture like that, how do you parent out of faith instead of parenting out of fear? Come on, are young parents? I will gladly admit, man, it's a different world. Parenting 20 years ago and parenting now. It's a different world. So how do you continue to lean in time and time again and parent out of faith instead of parenting out of fear? We know it's not what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to live in fear or out of fear or parent out of fear. We're reminded of these words in 2 Timothy. He says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. God hasn't given you or I a spirit of fear. And I get it. That's so much easier to read. That is so much easier to say than it is to live out. There are times where fear comes knocking. I mean, it's real. It's there at the threshold of your house, of your life. And every time the fear comes knocking, you and I have a choice. We can give into the fear and go with the fear. Or we can process, pray, and fight through that fear to get to a place of faith and trust in God. But that takes intentionality. And parents, here's the thing. You know this. When you parent out of fear so often, it just feels natural. It feels natural because whenever you have something that you love so dearly, that you treasure so much, it's only natural that you want to protect that. And you so love your kids. The thought of them being harmed or hurt or ridiculed or taken away from you. It's just overwhelmingly devastating. Thought of your teenagers growing up, rebelling, going a different way, walking away from God, making bad decisions. You quickly understand how fear can come into play and have a heavy role in our lives. And fear can be natural, but it's not what God desires for you and I. It's not the way we're supposed to walk and live our life. It's not the way we're supposed to parent. It's not a cornerstone of our households. The cornerstone is faith in Jesus. And fear harms and fear destroys and Fear takes root, and it's so incredibly hard to weed out of our lives. Fear can take us to places we never wanted to go. And individuals who let fear and anxiety rule their lives never come anywhere close to finding and living out their God-given potential. And fear makes us irrational. Have you ever been irrational with fear? Literally, the parts of the brain just go sideways whenever we are faced with fear. Logical decision-making often goes out the window, and we just begin to react. Short-term solutions, sudden reactions, and overwhelming emotions all come with fear. And fear often leads us to controlling or trying to control other people's behaviors and trying to control environments that we can't control. 
Fear creeps in and takes root, and it begins to shape our heart in something that doesn't look at all like the life that God desires us to live. Fear tends to lean towards legalism. Fear feels threatened by those who we deem unsafe. Why don't you think about it like this? And I'm probably going to offend a number of you, so let's just have a little bit of fun together. If 10 years ago, you would have approached me, maybe you'll agree with this. If 10 years ago, somebody approached you and said, hey, I want to let you know that in our future, in our county, libraries are going to be this big area of controversy. You know, there's going to be a place like this past week where you can read an article about a librarian resigning and you can read another article in the local paper about a town quitting funding their local library. And you can lean into your local newspaper and you in this one week can read 20 editorials regarding our local library system. If you were told me that 10 years ago, my response would have been, what are you smoking? Because back then it wouldn't have been legal, right? Because it just seems like such nonsense. But all those things today, in this past week, all those things are incredibly true. But as you begin to read and as you begin to have conversations with people around this topic that wells up so many emotions, I never knew a library could well up so many emotions, right? And as you ask questions just to understand, Take note of the role that fear is playing in people's reactions and decisions. So often, our lives are defined more by fear than they are by faith. I find more and more Jesus followers of all ages whose lives and actions and thoughts seem to be ruled more by fear than they are by faith. It's about 30 years ago, one of my seminary professors taught a whole day, a whole course on this. The church as a force versus the church as a fortress. As the way that Jesus designed the church was to be a force in our world, not to be a fortress. Church loses its ways. It begins to act more and more like a fortress instead of a force. And the number one thing that leads to a fortress mentality is fear. Fear leads to a fortress mentality. Trying to protect people from the world rather than equipping them to live a life of faith in the world. And do you get that? Do you understand the role that fear begins to play? Do you get that? Our awareness of our fear and how we respond to fear makes all the difference in living as disciples and in discipling those around us. It's not that Jesus expected his followers to never experience fear. That's not realistic. He expected them to work and process and pray and fight through their fear to get to a place of faith and trust in him. Let me just compare and contrast fear versus faith and see what defines your life. Fear can only see the potential tragedy. Faith sees endless possibilities. Fear takes us to places we never wanted to go. 
Faith takes us to places of wonder and joy we never imagined. Fear tells us to play it safe. Faith looks at life as an adventure. Fear causes us to lose sleep over the last breath that we will take. And faith urges us to live the days that we have to its fullest. And fear leads to an us versus them mentality. And faith leads to a we are for you because God is for you view of the world. And faith isn't easy and faith requires trust. And faith requires a surrender of control. And having parents whose faith in God was always bigger than their fear of the world makes a dramatic difference in a child's outlook on life and their view of God. And fear-driven parenting is never a good thing. Our children are going to make mistakes just like we did. The key is letting our children know that we are there for them, we believe in them, helping them to learn and grow, even when they make decisions that we don't agree with. And faith is asking God to take those mistakes and asking them to use them, to asking them to use them to build, to grow, develop, to mature your children. Parents, our job is to guide, to nurture, to encourage, to raise self-disciplined children who know how to make good decisions. It's not our, not our duty to control, to smother, to over protect. I want us to look at a story of faith versus fear, a story you might have heard before, Jesus walking on the water. Jesus walking on the water, he, he comes towards the disciples, and when the disciples saw him walking on water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, Tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? Just a few things to notice from this story and story of story that you read throughout scripture. Jesus doesn't remove fearful or harmful circumstances from his followers' lives. He uses those circumstances to stretch and to grow our faith. Again and again, God and Jesus encouraged their followers to what? Take risks. Take a year, study the Bible, cover to cover. Try to find out the amount of times where God or Jesus says, you just need to play it safe. You don't need much pen, ink, or pencil for that, do you? Jesus had no designs on his followers living in some sort of Christian bubble. 
He prepared them to face a world that would see and act differently from them, a place where they would often face persecution. And then don't miss this. Jesus doesn't reprimand his disciples, his followers. He, he doesn't rebuke them for being afraid of the dark, for being afraid of the storm, uh, for being afraid and thinking they saw a ghost. He doesn't rebuke Peter saying, you know, how could you be afraid of the waves? How could you be afraid of drowning? How could you be afraid of the wind? Jesus rebuked. Jesus' course correction comes for what? For not having enough faith to overcome their fear. Jesus course corrects them for doubting him, for not trusting him. So what does this look like? Having faith over fear involves considering the situation, weighing the options, and understanding the danger, but then making the choice to fight through the fear and trust God. It means pushing our fear to the side and replacing it with faith. Some of you, have you ever experienced this? Maybe you grew up in this kind of a household. Maybe you know this firsthand. Parenting out of fear will make you an overbearing, controlling parent. Parenting out of fear will eventually push your children away from you and away from God. So how do you do this? How do you choose faith over fear? Here's a few things. One is simply this. Invite God into the equation. Remember that you're not alone. It's not up to you. You can go, you can be praying, asking God for wisdom, direction for every situation comes your way. Ask God for wisdom. Don't try to control the situation. Don't try to think you automatically know it all. Ask God for wisdom for what is the right choice. I, I can tell you for Denise and I, there were times on our own strength, we just simply wanted to say no. Always wanted to say no. But you go and you invite God in the equation, you ask God for wisdom, and sometimes it's a different answer than what your first thought was, right? I, I love that my girls have jumped out of perfectly good airplanes or off of a perfectly good bridge. I love that they've explored different parts of the world that I've never got to explore. I love the experience that they have had as they continue to choose faith over fear. Third thing you can do is focus on what God is capable of doing instead of your fears. Your focus determines your direction and destination. And then don't feed the fear. Don't feed the fear. Come on, for kids, for teenagers, and for adults, less screen time is always the best thing. Almost always the best thing, except for air traffic controllers. Less screen time is a good thing. There are places that they are feeding you fear. They make money off your fear. Fear helps you stay engaged. Fear keeps you clicking. Fear keeps you watching. Fear keeps you reading. Fear and anger drive you down some deeper holes, and that's how they make their money. It's really good for them. It's really bad for your soul and for your life. Then here's a hard one. Go to the end of your worst fear. Go to the end of your worst fear. Imagine all the bad stuff that happened. And then wrestle with the question, is God still good? 
And as you wrestle through that question, and if you get to that answer where the answer is yes, even the worst situation, God is still good. You grow in your trust, your obedience in God, in following him. And grandparents, you have a little bit of a unique situation. This You have a little bit more perspective. You have a few more decades on your life. You have a little bit more distance between the situation and the relationship. And for you to be able to model faith over fear and speak truth and love into life can have an impact that you're not even beginning to imagine that it could have. Advice that I was given is that the older that we get, the more risk that we should take. That is so counterintuitive, right? But the older that we get, the more risk that we should take as we follow God. There's a biblical precedent for that. If you're looking for a case study, parents, grandparents, as you go to Hebrews 11, if you go there this week, there is one set of parents in the hall of faith. And then Moses' parents by faith, dot, dot, dot. Not out of fear, dot, dot, dot. Then you can go back to Exodus and read the story of Moses' parents and see how they lived out of faith and not out of fear. And if you know somebody who is struggling with fear or it's taken root or it has too much of an influence on their life, invite them out to our Christmas Eve service going to talk about the fear nots, the do not be afraid of the Christmas story. The different times where again and again the main principal characters, players in the Christmas stories are told do not be afraid. On your connection card if you want to respond today, if you're online or in person, it reads like this. Fear does not rule my life. Doesn't mean it doesn't have an impact. It doesn't mean you don't wrestle with it. It means at the end of the day, you don't give in. It doesn't drive you. Fear does not rule my life. I choose to live by faith, not fear. When fear creeps into my life, I will place, I will place my trust in the love of Jesus. And take a look at what 1 John 4 says. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And that's how I want us to end today. I want us to experience and remember his perfect love. That whenever fear comes a knocking, whenever fear begins to creep back in, you can remember where you can place your faith and your hope and your trust. And God who gave his one and only son to pay the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate punishment for you and I. No matter of all of our sins, our mistakes, our shortcomings, our character flaws, our whatever. That all of that was cleansed and made right with a holy God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. A couple instructions for you as we head into communion time. The one is this. We practice open communion here, and that just simply means we ask that you are a follower of Jesus. You've made a decision to follow Jesus, to partake with communion. The trays are going to be passed, but as you take the element, the bread, and a little bit later on the cup, just hold it. I'll come back up, give you some instruction, and we'll all partake together. In the moments ahead, when there's just some music being played, take this time to reflect. 
It's the Holy Spirit. Is God bringing something to the forefront of your mind that needs to be confessed or made right with him? Take the time to reflect and just have that introspection and do that. And for those of you that are looking for a gluten-free option, our stewards on the two sides, if you just wave them down, they'll come and they'll get that for you as well. So I'm going to pray. Take some time to prepare your heart. And then we will partake together. Father, we thank you for the work that you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. We remember and we give thanks. Father, for those of us where fear has taken root or fear all too often controls our life. And we remember how Jesus went to the cross, cast aside fear of death and punishment and pain to pay the penalty for our sins, that he wanted us to experience that perfect love, that kind of relationship that makes us right with our heavenly Father, holy and perfect. So Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for that gift of the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for that gift of eternal life when death was defeated and Jesus walked out of that empty tomb three days later. We remember, we give thanks, we invite you in, Holy Spirit. There's some things in our lives that we need to confess to you or make right with those around us. Give us the strength of character and the courage to do just that. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.